listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Hey, what's up, everybody? Good to have you back again this week on the podcast. And um, I really enjoy hearing from those of you that uh, are loving the podcast. Recently, I've been having a lot of people come up to me uh, different places when we're traveling and just telling me how much they love and enjoy listening to the podcast. And I want to say thank you to all of you that are listening and all of you that have been sharing the podcast uh, via social media. I see a lot of people uh, that are tagging me. Uh, that are posting it on their Instagram story, a lot of people on their Instagram feed, a lot of people on Twitter that are retweeting and tweeting quotes from the podcast, and um, I really appreciate that, sharing it on Facebook. So I want to start by saying, uh, if you are listening and haven't done that yet, I'd like to encourage you to share the podcast with somebody on social media. It really opens it up to uh, a bigger uh, group that I, I normally would not have access to reaching, but because you know who they are and know they'd enjoy the podcast, uh, I want to say thank you for doing that because it means a lot and helps us get the word of God out uh, before Jesus comes back. You know, there's people that need to hear the gospel, need to hear the word of God, and um, this podcast is one of many avenues that we're using to get the word of God out to a new and a young and hungry generation. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And then secondly, I want to say this, um, I've been teaching and and of course mentioning a lot recently, uh, prayer and fasting, and we're getting a lot more messages that are coming in uh, via the website and social media email. People are asking about fasting and prayer, and I'm happy about that because we need to reignite a fire, I believe, in this generation for dedication to the things of God. Uh, more time than ever praying, fasting, reading God's word, being faithful to church, witnessing, sharing the gospel with people that do not have it. And so I'm happy that we're hearing from people that are interested and uh, hungry to begin fasting. And, and people want to know more about the discipline of fasting, I believe, because it's not taught a lot about in church. Uh, so many people are not familiar with the ins and outs of biblical fasting. And of course, we recently just did a, a podcast episode entitled Five uh, Dangerous Myths About Fasting. If you haven't got a chance to listen to that yet, I encourage you to go back and check that one out. It'll be a huge blessing to you. But with the people that we've had writing in, and they've said, Do your, does your ministry have any other resources regarding fasting and prayer or explaining it uh, more in depth? So I do want to say publicly on the podcast before we begin today that, yes, we do have uh, some materials that uh, will tell you more. Obviously, as I mentioned, this podcast, there are episodes that deal with fasting, as I just mentioned, but also uh, my book, Blood on the Door, uh, dealing with the protective power of covenant, I dedicate an entire chapter in that book uh, to explaining the power of fasting coupled with prayer. And uh, I in that within the chapter, I deal with the five uh, blessings that fasting brings to a believer, fasting and prayer. And then also, by the way, um, we have a, a series that's entitled, Why Are Christians Sick? and how you can be free. That's probably the number one question I get. Anywhere I travel in the United States of America and around the world, people come up and say, you know, Brother Ted, if, if God is so good, how come so many Christians, his children are sick? 
And I got so tired of answering that question one-on-one that I just took four hours, four day services in a revival that we had and taught every one of those sessions on why Christians are sick and how they can be free. And I took a, a one of those days, an entire hour to teach on the power of fasting and prayer. So let me just say that if you're interested in the subject of fasting and prayer and you want to learn more, I uh, strongly encourage you to grab that book, Blood on the Door. We also have a workbook that goes along with it. And uh, you can get that. If you're if you're one of those people that like to have an ebook. you can grab it on Kindle or iBooks. And uh, if you'd like to have the paperback, you can get that at our website, shop.miracleword.com. That's shop.miracleword.com. And uh, you can also grab the series, Why Are Christians Sick, uh, there as well. And then, of course, we have uh, our online courses at Miracle Word University. And you can take a look at more of those at miraclewordu.com. It'll be a huge blessing to you. All right, let's jump in today. This has been something that's been on my spirit. I want to share it with you. Every one of you that are listening to this podcast, uh, I really, really believe in you. I know that you're hungry and that's why you're spending time to listen to the podcast. I mean, if you weren't hungry for spiritual things, you wouldn't waste your time. Uh, you know, many of these are, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. You wouldn't waste your time sitting and listening to these if you weren't hungry, not only for the things of God, but to do something for the kingdom of God. So first of all, I commend you for that. And I believe in you. I believe uh, in the fire that you have for the things of God. And I want to equip you to even do greater things than you've ever done for the kingdom of God. And that's part of what my gift is as a fivefold ministry gift is that I equip the saints and uh, encourage and instruct. And today I want to talk about the power of the gifts of the spirit which is really a subject that many people are are, uh, ignorant about. And Paul said something uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, that I think is very interesting in the day we're living. He said, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant. And that's 1 Corinthians 12, 1. And I'm going to read this to you quickly, and then we're going to start today regarding that subject of spiritual gifts. But I want to just take it right here from where the Apostle Paul, for the first time, begins to really define what the nine gifts of the Spirit are. And let me break this down, but let's read 1 Corinthians 12, and let me start with verse 1. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that nobody speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, here we go. Verse four, the Bible says, now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit to another, faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing by one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits 
and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I'm going to read verse 11 again because it's an extremely important verse in regards to what we're talking about today. Paul finishes this section by saying, all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So I want you to understand that Paul is teaching these uh, believers in Greece. He's saying, listen, there's all these different nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they all can't come from one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who gives to each person individually as he wills. So understand this right from the outset that uh, to be an effective uh, member of the body of Christ, to do the work of Christ, which by the way, Jesus expected us to do. So first thing I want you to understand today about this is that Jesus expected every one of us as believers to do the same work he did. That's number one. John chapter 14 and verse 12, the Bible uh, tells us Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these, because I'm going to be with the Father. What did he mean when he said, because I'm going to be with the Father? Well, he tells us that when he leaves, he's going to send us another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. It's found in the Gospel of John. You can read in chapters 14 and chapter 16 about him sending the Holy Spirit. So he was saying, I've got to leave so I can send you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, of course, he told his disciples uh, to wait in Jerusalem until they're filled with power from on high. So he understood that when he sent the Holy Spirit, it would cause you to be empowered to do the same works that he did, which is why he had to leave. Jesus' job was not finished until he sent the Holy Spirit because it was that sending of the Holy Spirit that makes us just like him. In fact, Jesus himself didn't do any miraculous works on the earth until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You go and see that in Luke chapter 3, he's baptized in the Jordan River by John. And Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, it says he was led into the spirit, into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And then he prays and fasts. And Luke 4.14 tells us, that he comes out of the wilderness full of the power of the Spirit. So it was then that his miraculous ministry began. I think it's interesting to note once again that Jesus lived for 30 years on the earth and never produced one miracle, even though he was the Son of God. Didn't produce one miracle until he got filled or baptized, if you will, with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells his disciples to go wait in Jerusalem until they're filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because it it is that baptism of the Holy Spirit that allows us to operate in the power that Jesus operated in, which he expected. And that's point number one. Jesus expects us as believers, not just ministers, every believer is expected to operate in the same power that Jesus did. In fact, if you read the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission found in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, what you'll find is is that Jesus is giving us here a rundown of what it will look like when this uh, power is in action. The Bible says that you've got to, uh, he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to 
every creature. And anybody that believes and is baptized will be saved. And whoever doesn't believe will be damned. And all these signs will follow those who believe. He said, in my name, they'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. See that? They'll speak with new tongues. So that's right there, an assumption by Jesus that people will be filled with the Holy Spirit as he commands them to be. So he said, that's why he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem because this was prophesied all the way back, see, in uh the book of Isaiah, where the Bible says, with stammering lips and an unknown tongue, will he speak to his people? So Jesus, again, also prophesies that this will come to his church. And uh, the reason that he assumes that here in uh, Mark chapter 16 is because it's prophecy that these believers will not only cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. Though if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they'll lay their hands on the sick and they'll recover. So Jesus here is assuming uh, that all of his followers will follow in his footsteps and work in the same power that he worked in. And uh, let me just say a side note here. Jesus, we see Jesus operating in these gifts of the Spirit through his ministry. We see the apostles operating these gifts of the Spirit in their ministry. And also in the Old Testament, obviously, the Holy Spirit was still working in the Old Testament. And uh, we see all but two of the gifts of the Spirit in operation in the Old Testament. All but tongues and the interpretation of tongues uh, is seen in the Old Testament. We see the gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings. We see uh, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. We see the discerning of spirits and we see prophecy uh, in the Old Testament. But when the Holy Spirit was given to indwell believers in the New Testament, that's when we see tongues as the initial evidence that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. So uh, these gifts of the Spirit are given not just to ministers, but to every believer to operate in the power of God. Now, here's where we have the confusion is that people don't know. I've had people say things to me like this. Well, how do I, I'd like to get the gifts of the Spirit. How do you get some of those gifts? I'd like to, I'd like to receive the gifts of the Spirit. But here's the thing. We don't receive the gifts of the Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. And the reason that I made it a point to focus on verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12 is because Paul tells them there that it is the Holy Spirit who is the giver of the gifts. And if you see, here's what I want you to get today as a believer. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are filled with the giver of the gifts, which means that you have the potential to operate in any of the nine gifts of the Spirit. You don't just receive, you know, it's not like, well, God, you know, sovereignly just uh, deposits, you know, the working of miracles into some of the believers. And then other believers uh, are given, you know, uh, tongues and interpretation and others are given prophecy. It doesn't work like that. Every believer is given the Holy Spirit and the opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And once the giver of the gifts is inside you, then you now have the potential to operate in any of the nine gifts of the Spirit. And you don't have to wait or tarry or ask for any of the gifts of the Spirit to be in you or to be used by them. They are in you by the Holy Spirit who's already dwelling there. And that's why I wanted you to go with me quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is something now that's going to be extremely encouraging to you as a believer. And Paul's writing at the very beginning of this letter, and he's talking to them about 
what's already been deposited into them as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, listen to this. Paul said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Now, here's what I want you to see. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 1, so important. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So get this with me. Paul is telling the believers in the church, the Corinthian church, that you don't lack any gift. You don't come behind. You're not missing any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I also think this is an extremely important point to make to you today is that the Corinthian church of all the churches that Paul wrote to or visited, the Corinthian church was without question the most immature church of any of them. He's the, the, this is the church that had to get the most rebukes. This is the one that had to get the most instruction. And Paul was helping them. According to Paul, you know, these church, this church was in distress, spiritual distress. And he had to write these two letters and uh, answer their questions and give them instruction, rebuke them, tell them to throw certain members out of the church because they would not repent of their sins. I mean, Paul goes through this church, which is clearly the most immature spiritually, immature church of any of the churches. But notice this, even the most immature believers of any of the churches, Paul still writes to them and says, you're not lacking any gift. Do you see that? He didn't, he's not writing this to the Ephesian church, which was, you know, probably one of the more, most mature churches of any. He's writing this to the Corinthians, who are the most immature of any of the churches. He said, you as immature believers do not lack any gift as you wait for the return or revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in this same book or this same letter, if you go to the 14th chapter, Paul has to Paul has to start giving them some instructions or starts pulling in the reins on their churches because apparently the gifts of the spirit were so prevalent in the Corinthian church and people were so excited to operate in the gifts of the spirit that he had to start giving them some instructions so that they'd have order in their church services. He said, listen, you guys have the gift of tongues and interpretation and prophecy like nobody's business. You got people jumping up left and right, giving tongues and uh, others interpreting and people prophesying. And he had to call back and say, listen, don't let two or three at the most people, uh, more than that, uh, start giving words. He said, otherwise there's confusion and you got people coming in that don't know what in the world's going on. So he starts to give them instruction as to bring order uh, in the church because even this immature church was having uh, all kinds of manifestations of the Holy Spirit that were valid, by the way. Paul, Paul tells them they're valid. He said, I want you to do this. I want you to operate in tongues, interpretation. I want you to speak with tongues. He said, I do it more than all of you do it. He said, but there's also got to be some order in your church services so that 
uh, unbelievers can be saved and so that also believers can be strengthened or your understanding can become fruitful is the words he used. So understand, this was not the most mature. You know, these are not the guys that have been 50 years in the making, you know, and they're super built up in the faith and strengthened with a knowledge and understanding of the word. These are people that barely know what they're doing. This is a church that had a guy who was sleeping with his mother and uh, with his uh, stepmother and bragging about it and not even being repentant. And the fact that they had to write and say, throw him out. If he won't repent and you're telling him it's a sin. I mean, this was a church that was in trouble. But even though they were immature, weak in faith, all of these things, they still had the gifts of the spirit and manifestation in their lives and in their church services. And Paul actually wrote to them and said in the seventh verse of the first chapter of his letter, he said, you don't lack any gift. All these gifts of the spirit are in you. So as a believer who is filled with the Holy Ghost, you have every gift that you need already at your disposal. No matter what God has called you to do, as you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you have the sufficiency in the spirit that you need to carry out any of these tasks at any given moment. And and see, what happens many times, you start trying to break this down. Oh, well, I don't know if I have that gift operating in my life. I, I just don't know if I have the gifts of healings. I'm, I'm not sure if I work in the working of miracles or if I have the gift of faith or if I'm just supposed to be given words of wisdom and words of knowledge. See, once you start breaking it down about what you have or don't have, that's what brings doubt and unbelief uh, and, in, and, and, uh, you know, start people start getting fearful and anxious about how they're going to operate for God because they're trying to figure out and discern which gifts they have in their life. And that's a mistake because it's actually something the enemy can use to cause you to fail to step out in faith and do what God's called you to do. It's a mistake because all you need is the Holy Spirit. If you've got the Holy Spirit, then you've got the gifts. He's the giver of the gifts. And, and although Paul does instruct us, and it's, it's very important to do this, he said, covet earnestly or desire earnestly the best gifts. So it's not telling us to not focus on the gifts. We should focus on the gifts of the Spirit. We should desire to be used in the gifts of the Spirit, but we should never be afraid or anxious that we don't have the ability or we're not filled with the proper gifts to do the work of God because that's not scriptural. The scriptural answer is, if you've got the Holy Spirit, then all of those nine gifts are already in your spirit because you've got the one who gives them living on the inside of you. So I want to I want to take a I want to jump back and just show you how this this should not be something that uh, causes you to have any kind of intimidation or or anything like that. Because listen, this is this is down the line. I, when I, when I say down the line, I mean on the timeline of the early church. This letter to the Corinthians is, you know, obviously after the the ministry of Christ and all of that. It's after the book of Acts and all of that. So I want you to take a look at how early church believers viewed being used by God uh, to do what they've been called to do. Literally, let's go back to Acts chapter three. And uh, this is something that's important to bring out to you because I want you to see there was no intimidation. There was no, um, there was no, 
I, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. They were not hindered. Uh, they were not uh, delayed in their purpose trying to figure out whether they had what it took to be used by God in these situations. Nobody did that. They didn't sit around waiting to see if they were the right ones with the right gifts to be used in the right moment. They just did what they were called to do. And I want to look at that in Acts chapter three. And this is the story of Peter and John. And really what they were doing was that they were headed up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And uh, let me read to you Acts 3, and I'll read you first, starting in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour uh, of the day, which is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from his mother's womb, or from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering into the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and so did John. And they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. That's a very important phrase. I want you to remember it. Peter said, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, this is the working of miracles and possibly the gift of faith in operation here in Acts chapter 3. And I want you to see this. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and he leapt up and stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So here is an early, early example. Jesus is gone from the earth. The day of Pentecost had just happened one chapter before. Peter and John had been filled with the Holy Ghost, and now they have an opportunity to walk in that power. And they come to the temple, and the Bible says that when they saw this lame man who needed a miracle, I want you to notice what is not in the Bible here. I want you to notice what Peter and John did not say. Peter and John did not say, uh, oh man, this guy needs a miracle. Peter, do you have it? Well, John, listen, I only do tongues and interpretation. I, I, I'm not really sure uh, that I have the, the working of miracles or the gift of faith. Yeah, and, you know, and then John answers in reply. Yeah, well, you, you, I, I, that's me. I, I, you know, I only do word of knowledge, word of wisdom. I'm, I'm really not sure that the, that the working of miracles is active in my ministry. No, neither of them had a conversation about it. They didn't even wonder if it was something that was on the inside of them. In fact, let me say emphatically, this was before Paul ever defined what the nine gifts of the Spirit even were. So I don't know that they knew that there was a gift of faith or that there were a, there was a, something called the working of miracles or the gifts of healings. They knew that miracles existed. They knew that healing was real. They knew that faith was real, but they didn't have a definition and a breakdown or a textbook of the nine gifts of the Spirit. They were just doing the work of Christ like Christ had always done. They were doing what they were trained to do, and they were fulfilling uh, Christ's command of John 14, 12, the works that I do, do them also, and greater works. So they just stepped out by faith knowing, now let me go back to what I said a second ago, knowing there was something inside them that was more powerful than what, what had caused the man to be born lame. And the Bible says, Peter answered and said, such as I have I will give you what I have. I will give you. What does that mean? Peter understood that because he got filled with the Holy ghost, something 
was inside his body that he could give away. And he didn't have to doubt it, and he didn't have to define it by what, which, not which of the nine gifts of the Spirit, or is it multiple gifts? He didn't have to think about any of that. He said, "There's something in my body that is uh, carries power to make you well. It'll take you from a crippled state and bring you into a healed state." And he said, "Not only do I have it." I'm going to give it to you. So Peter not only knew he had power, he knew it was transferable power. And see, I don't have, we don't have to wonder how God does it. We don't have to wonder. You know, there's no way you get to a place where you're about to minister to somebody and then say, like, let me switch over into work a miracle, working a miracles mode. Let me switch over into gift of faith mode. Let me switch over into the word of knowledge mode. No, you just flow with the Holy Ghost and step out in faith and do what God's called you to do. As my father has taught for many years, and of course, I believe that there's nobody on the earth more qualified to teach about the gifts of the Spirit than my father, Ted Shuttlesworth Sr., as I've seen him operate in all nine gifts of the Spirit proficiently, proficiently. I'm talking about with great results. I've seen him operate in uh, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, uh, discerning of spirits without question. Uh, I've seen him operate in the gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings often. Tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Often, I've seen it my whole life, uh, not just once or twice, but his ministry has been a standard of the gifts of the Spirit. He's never backed away from it. There's probably nobody. I, I would say probably nobody. And I know, I know many ministries, and I've seen many ministries in operation. And I would tell you on this podcast, there is nobody better and more qualified to teach on the gifts of the Spirit than my father, uh, who's also writing several books currently on the gifts of the Spirit. So we'll keep our ears to the ground and I'll make you aware of those when they become available. But he has taught for years regarding the gifts that the gift, the gifts of the Spirit are like headlights on a car. The headlights go out in front of you and you can see so far. But as you move forward, see the, the headlights go further and then you can see more. And so you have to step out and operate in what you currently have from the Holy Spirit because he doesn't give you the entire picture when he asks you to step out and obey him to minister to somebody. You step out and whatever portion that he gives you, you you step out and speak that or act out uh, whatever the Holy Spirit gives you in that moment. And the further you go by faith, the more God will give you, the more you'll see. You may just have a word for somebody that at first it seems uh, very uh, elementary or very general, but when you step out and give it, God begins to define it more and more. You might get more as you go. So the key is everything we do for God must be done by faith. And it's, it takes faith. People say, well, why can't God just give me the whole thing right now? Because it takes faith to work in the, the things of God. And if, if we can't please God without faith, then it wouldn't be pleasing to God for you to just know the end from the beginning of what he has you to do. It takes faith to step out not knowing everything yet or not having the fullness of what you're going to do. Many times, you know, I've stepped out with a word for somebody I didn't know any more than the small amount that God had given me, but the more I deliver to them, the more God shows me, and the more specific it gets, and then God uses the power of his spirit to minister to those people. So it takes our faith to please God, Hebrews eleven six, without question. So the reason many times that it doesn't happen where you get everything right up front is because God wants you to operate and walk in faith. And so you have to trust the Holy Spirit, put your uh, dependence upon him and not in your human knowledge or wisdom. 
In fact, Paul said that uh, very clearly, and he wanted the church to understand that he did not come with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. In fact, Paul didn't even feel like he had fully preached the gospel until he had uh, released the manifestations of the Holy Spirit or the demonstration of God's power. So uh, it is something, as Paul taught, that we need to covet or desire earnestly. We should pray and ask God, use us, let us be vessels that you can use. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and instructed him, keep your life uh, like a pure vessel uh, of gold and silver so that you can be used at any time by the master for any uh, purpose that he wants to use you in. Don't be somebody that becomes like a vessel of wood or or clay that is, uh, you know, common or unclean that's used all the time. You know, be a vessel of gold and silver that God can use for every purpose, a special vessel, a set aside vessel. So it's not just about praying and spending time with the Lord, but it's also about living a holy life so that God can use you at any moment throughout your life. And so these gifts of the spirit are available for every believer. You know, it's like the blessings of God. You know, these blessings of God have already been afforded to every believer. Ephesians chapter one and verse three, the Bible says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So there's no more blessings to be blessed with. You've already been blessed with all of them. There are no more gifts to be deposited on the inside of you. They've already been deposited when the Holy Spirit uh, filled your life. So understand we contain the very power of God in our bodies. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's God filling you with the very power and essence of his spirit. The fullness of his spirit is on the inside of you. So it's an encouraging thought that God has already given us the opportunity and potential to be used in any of the nine gifts of the spirit. And um, possibly I'll do some further podcasts down the road uh, and dive into uh, the three different categories of the gifts of the spirit for a better understanding, because we have what's known as first the power gifts. These are uh, the gift of faith, the working of miracles and the gifts of healings. These are called the power gifts. Uh, the gifts that help us to uh, act like God. Then we have what the Bible refers to uh, or what's referred to by us uh, as the revelation gifts. These are, these are the gifts of uh, the discerning of spirits, the word of knowledge, and the word of wisdom. These are gifts that help us to think like God. And then we have what's known as the utterance gifts. And these are uh, tongues, the interpretation of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And these are the gifts that help us to talk like God. So we have gifts that help us to act like God, the power gifts, gifts that help us to think like God, the revelation gifts, and gifts that help us to talk like God, the utterance gifts. And so these three categories of the gifts uh, are all useful, all used for the common good, as Paul said and taught and that we should covet the best gifts. And uh, so maybe I'll do some further podcasts defining each category and showing you examples and specific examples in scripture and also telling some stories. I think that'd be good for people to hear exactly how they uh, work in operation, which is powerful. I mean, the gifts of the spirit are powerful. You know, that's why I personally feel, 
And, you know, I don't have anything against people that are doing their best to follow God. I blame leaders that don't teach the full counsel of God's word. But that's why I feel that the message of cessationism is so dangerous to this generation. And if you don't know what cessationism is, it's basically the thought process that uh, the, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit as we know them in the early church, the gifts of the Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders, that that all died out when the last original apostle died, that the Holy Spirit does not do those things anymore. He was only doing them for the establishing of the, of the church, the New Testament church, and to continue to fulfill giving us the uh, final canon of Scripture. And once we got the Word of God or the final uh, Word, we got all the books that we have in the Bible, then the Holy Spirit's job was done in that capacity. We've established the church and we have the Bible, and now we don't need anything else other than that. Uh, Of course, we don't believe that by any means. We're what what you would call continuationists, uh, where we believe that the Holy Spirit has continued his work to this day, that all the things he was doing in the early church, he's still doing today. But that dangerous thought process, which is held by uh, many Baptists, many Presbyterians and others, that the Holy Spirit is not doing what he used to do. I think it's damaging and dangerous because of the fact that there are things that need to be completed on the earth. There are people that need to be healed. There are signs and wonders. By the way, this is something that Jesus himself used to prove he was the son of God and that he was alive uh, after he died and, and gave his disciples the ability uh, to produce these miracles. First of all, John's disciples came and said, uh, Jesus, are you still, are you the one we're looking for? Are you the Messiah or are we waiting for somebody else to come? And Jesus said, go back and tell John the things you've seen and heard. The blind see, the deaf hear, uh, the lame walk, the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. These were signs that Jesus told them to use to prove he was the son of God. So that he was the Messiah. And then later, uh, he told them that I'll give you power to become my witnesses, Acts chapter 1-8, and uh, the power to uh, to show that Jesus is still alive are these signs and wonders and miracles. Look at how Philip went to Samaria in Acts chapter 8 and preached Christ in that city, and many who had demon spirits were cleansed, many who were sick were healed instantly, and there was great joy in that city, and many believed the gospel, and and there were many saved, many converted in that city because of the ministry of Philip who began to work the the works of Christ or or perform signs, wonders, and miracles. Even even in the case of Jesus in John chapter 2, the Bible says many people believed on his name when they saw the miracles which he did, John 2.23. So the, the signs, wonders, and miracles are a necessity. They are the proof that Jesus is alive, that the Holy Spirit is uh, real, that God is real. Uh, Otherwise, our religion just becomes like any other dead religion, that we can all claim we have the truth, but where's the proof? And I believe in this final moments of time, once again, we need to see that uh, take place. So maybe in the future, I'll do it. Let me pray for every one of you that are listening uh, today to receive a hunger to be used by God in these final moments of time. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you put that hunger on the inside of every one of us to work the works of Christ before Jesus comes back, to be a witness that he's alive. Give give us a hunger to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. And Father, we will continue to step out in faith and do all that you've commanded us to do in your wonderful and mighty name. 
We thank you and praise you. Amen. Listen, I love you guys. Don't forget until next time that goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life. I'll talk to you next week. God bless you. We would love for you to join us in a live service. To find out when Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. will be near you, please visit our website at www.miracleword.com. 